Good morning. That was pretty cool, wasn't it? I loved it. That was really, really cool. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Father, we're so grateful that we can be here in the presence of family and in your presence. It's by your invitation. And so now we pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Jesus, your Son, we pray. Amen. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Now, sometimes what the Bible says about God is almost too big for our brains to process. So we shrink Him. And we end up with a puny little God. A God that we can blow off. But, if God really is as big as the Apostle John says He is, He is not a puny God and He cannot be civilized. So the Apostle John starts his letter with these words, that which was from the beginning. You've got to stop right there. The NLT says, the one who existed from the beginning. Now understand, he's not talking about God's beginning. He's talking about ours. In the book of Genesis, when it says, in the beginning God created, it's not talking about God's beginning. It's talking about the beginning of our universe, the beginning of time as we know it. That happened when God, who was already there, He created us. Now maybe we can kind of picture it like this. What if there was a rope, and the rope was, let's say, eternally long, absolutely eternally long? In other words... Imagine that he's not holding the end of the rope over there, that there's no end of the rope here. It just extends eternally into the future. It extends eternally into the past. It's kind of a picture of what God is kind of like. And then I suppose what you could do is you could take a piece of tape like this, and I could wrap it around this tape, this rope about in here like that and that represents time as we know it to an eternal God right that's time understand this rope goes on infinitely far that direction infinitely far this direction this is time as we know it right here right at that spot is our beginning in the beginning right if you're a young earth creationist, this spot right here was about 6,000 years ago. If you are following what most astronomers say about the beginning of our universe, then you're going to assume this spot is about 13.8 billion years ago. Doesn't matter a hill of beans to eternity, does it? It's just a spot of time. And we get all caught up in this little slice of time. But what's what is a little tiny slice of time to an absolutely eternal God? Did you know that God, Almighty God, is no older today than He was when this universe was born? And I know that there are some brain-dead twits who like to picture God as a doddering old fool. <laughs> really? I mean, He's old, right? He's, he's at least this old must be struggling to keep up with us and all of our technological and intellectual and moral advances, right? 
Are you serious? What a puny little God they pretend. And do you have any idea how infinite and how immense even just this little slice of eternity is? And the God who designed it all, the God who spoke it into existence, the God who understands every single piece of what blows our minds, we think we can outgrow him. What a puny God, we imagine. But the Apostle John had a glimpse of the real thing, and and it absolutely blew his mind. He says, that which was from the beginning. Not God's beginning, ours. The one who always has been, the one who always will be, the one who is no older today than he was a trillion years ago, John says. And he says, we heard him. We literally heard him with these ears. We literally saw him with these eyes. We literally touched him with these hands. We have touched the transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient God. The only one who's not creation. The one who knows everything that is knowable. Everything. The one who can do everything that is doable. John says he let us touch him. He let us see him. He let us listen to him. Now, if you've got a lick of sense, that ought to explode your brain. That which was from the beginning, he says, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we looked at and our hands touched, that's what we're trying to tell you about, the word of life. And then he says this, he says, the life appeared. You've got to just stop right there. He doesn't say the one who is alive for a while appeared. He doesn't say the one who gave life appeared. He says the one who is life itself appeared. Life itself. Now listen guys, we become God is. We become because God is. You understand, don't you, that without God there's no life of any kind, any kind whatsoever. There's no physical life of any kind, there's no spiritual life of any kind, no eternal life. So the uncreated creator, John says, we heard him with these ears, we saw him with these eyes, we touched him with these hands, and now we've got to tell you, proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. Well, no kidding. If that's true. How could you keep something like that in? Why would you keep something like that in? John says, I'm talking about Jesus. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. And so we're trying to tell you what we've actually seen and heard so that, so that, so that what? So John, in telling you about what he was able to see and hear, can win the prize for the best story in like ever. So that John, we got to see him, we got to touch him, we got to listen to him, gets the prize for being the coolest guy ever. Because he wants to share Jesus. Because for some reason he wants you to share Jesus too. Apparently the eternal God, the eternal God is big enough that he actually cares about little microns like us and a little tiny speck of time. And if you don't think that God can care about someone as insignificant as you, you have a puny little God. John says God let us in. 
He wants to let you in. We want you to be in. So he says, we're telling you this so you can taste our joy. Now, if you're reading different Bibles, some say so you can have complete joy. Some say so that we can have complete joy. Well, both work. What he's saying is God wanted us in and God wants you in. You want in? So John says, this is the message we heard from Jesus, the one who was from the beginning. This is the message that he gave to us. This is the message we're trying to tell you. And then he says, God is light. And there's no darkness in him at all. So first of all, John says, God is life. I don't mean God is alive. I mean, God is life. And then he says, God is light. And he's not saying God gives light. He's saying God is light. There's no light without God, whether it's physical light, intellectual light, moral light, spiritual light. So let's play for just a couple of minutes. What would happen if the sun just blinked out? A lot of you guys, I don't know if everybody did, but this morning the power blinked out here for just a couple of seconds. It was kind of interesting. What would happen if the sun blinked out? literally blinked out. No more light, no more heat, just a massive space rock up in the, up in the heavens. What would happen here on earth? Some of you guys are probably holding a cup of coffee right now, and if you were to leave right now and put that cup of coffee in a fridge, it would not be cold immediately. In the same way, the earth, which has a hot core, would stay comparatively warm for a few million years, at least compared to the cold of space, but not so you'd notice. It would take about eight minutes for us to figure out that something is very, very wrong, right? Because that's how long that it takes for light at the speed of light gets from the sun to the earth. And then the sun would just disappear as far as we could see. The moon would disappear because what we're seeing is the reflection of the sunlight off the moon. And things on this earth would start to die immediately, wouldn't they? Most plants require sunlight to stay alive, photosynthesis and all that. According to things that I have read, it would take about a week for the average temperature here on earth to reach about zero degrees. Plants would be dying, animals would be dying, people would be dying unless you could find some way of generating some heat. In about a month, the average temperature would be about minus 10 degrees. Oceans and the lakes would freeze. Now the ice on top would kind of shield the water that's deep below so some life could survive in the deep water for a while. Up above, some of us might be able to survive for a time if we could generate some heat and some light for a while, but it's going to get pretty hard to find food, isn't it? One year later, the average temperature on Earth would be about minus 100. So unless you could tap some heat from a volcano or maybe from a geothermal vent, there's probably only a few microorganisms left. I'd suggest maybe moving to Yellowstone or maybe Iceland, a lot of geothermal vents there, right? And eventually, as the earth cools, the temperature would stabilize at about 400 degrees below zero. Now, don't get too worked up about that happening. Best estimates that are that the sun has about 5 billion years worth of light and light heat left, so most of you guys will probably be dead when it blinks out. What the sun is to the earth is kind of like what God is to, well, 
everything. John says he is light. He is life. He is light and he is life. So John says, this is the message we heard from Jesus. This is the message we now try to tell you. Literally from the Greek it says this, God is light and darkness in him there is not, not one little bit. Now in English, two negatives make a positive, right? Are kids still learning that in school, I hope? But in Greek, two negatives make it twice as strong. He's saying there's no darkness in God at all. There is no dim spot in God at all. There are no dead pixels when it comes to God. There's not even a shadow of darkness in God. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if there was a little bit of darkness in God? You know, the creator, the eternal one. Have you ever pondered what it would mean if he was not all-powerful, not all-knowing, not all-good? And I suspect some of you guys have pondered that because a lot of people live that way. I mean, how many of you guys like the Marvel movies? I love Marvel movies, most of them. I'm beginning to cool on it a little bit. I'm not quite as much a fan of Marvel as I am DC, but I think it's still great fun. Thor, Captain America, Hulk, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Vision, Thanos. The most powerful of the superheroes they call gods in the Marvel Universe. In fact, they've even got the most powerful one of all. They call him the one above all, literally omnipotent. He just doesn't care about something as insignificant as us. Then they have all these other gods. Bottom line, I think a lot of people today get their picture of God more from Marvel than they do the Bible. Their gods are good, some of them, but not completely good. Some of the gods are pretty smart, but they're not omniscient, and they're always learning from us humans. Most of their gods are powerful, but they can be beaten. It's a bunch of puny gods. Now think about the real God. What if the real God, the transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient God, was not completely good? I mean, what if God is petty, like some of those Marvel gods, capricious, fickle, petulant? What if God had a mean streak in him? Some people live that way, as if they think they're God times when God really doesn't want our best. Or what if God is really, really powerful, but he's not omnipotent? Which would mean that, well, there are promises he can't keep, problems that he can't fix, enemies that he can't defeat. Kind of like the puny Marvel gods. And some people live that way, right? thinking he's kind of a puny God, maybe even an impotent old fool. Or what if, what if the real God was really, really smart, but he's not omniscient? I mean, a God has to keep advancing, doesn't he? As we progress, God needs to keep up with us, right? Maybe God's getting a little old. Maybe he's stuck in his ways. Maybe we've outgrown God. A lot of people live that way like he's a puny God. Maybe he doesn't understand us. No, he could be wrong. Maybe on this one I'm right. Maybe I know what's better for me than God knows what's better for me on this one. Maybe God isn't evolving fast enough. 
What a puny God he is. And the Apostle John would look at us and he'd shake his head and he'd say, really? Really? God is life. God is light. Which means that anything that God says, guys, is true. When God tells us why we're here, that's true. When God tells us how life works best, that's true. When God tells us which paths to take and which paths to avoid, that's truth. There is no my truth, your truth, God's truth. God is life, God is light, which means that anything he says is true. And it means that anything God does is pure, perfectly good. God is never dishonest. God never lies. He is never duplicitous, deceptive. He's never capricious, impulsive, or unpredictable. God is never grumpy. He's never mean or petty. It means that he can be trusted perfectly. Do you buy that? Do you live that way? And it means that everything that we do will be revealed. God is light. Sometimes we don't like the light, right? There's some things we do that we don't want anybody to see. There are things we think, things we feel that we'd rather keep hidden. We'd rather keep in the darkness. When the Bible says that God is light, it means that everything that we are, everything we think, everything we do, everything about us will be revealed. It'll be measured and it will be judged. And it means if we say we're doing life with God and yet we persist, if we persist in doing things that dishonor God, we're lying. Maybe we're lying to ourselves. Maybe we're lying to the people around us. Bottom line, if you say you're doing life with God and persist in doing things that are dishonoring to God, it means that your little imaginary world and God's actual reality aren't matching up. And in the end, what's real to us won't matter. What he's telling us, guys, is that we do life with God by doing life God's way, right? You can't do life with God and blow off God's way. Now, the words John chooses are important. He says, if we claim we have fellowship with God, if we claim that we're actually walking life, walking with God, doing life with God, while walking in the darkness, walking in the darkness, he's not talking about occasional sins. He's not talking about the struggles all of us have as Jesus followers with our habitual sins. All of us fight sin, guys. Some of us are going to fight the same sins, it seems, over a lifetime. We're still trying to fight them, aren't we? He's talking about those times we choose simply to give in and live in the mess. About those who just stop fighting their sin, and God's not going to play games. A lot of us kind of look Christian on Sunday, but we're perfectly content to live like practical atheists the rest of the week. Doing life with God doesn't work that way. Some of us harbor unforgiveness without shame. And then we come here on Sundays and beg God's forgiveness. Doesn't work that way. Some of us go through the week destroying people with our tongues and then come here on Sunday and use that same tongue to praise God. Doesn't work that way. Some of us let our eyes wander where they shouldn't go or let our minds linger where they shouldn't be without remorse. And then we come here and profess that we love God with all of our heart and with all of our mind. 
John says if we want to have fellowship with God, we actually try to do life with God God's way. And if you do that, what's so cool is that you discover you're not alone. None of us is alone. All of a sudden we discover we're part of something bigger, something kind of rich. John says if we're living in the light as God is in the light, we're not only doing life with God, we're also doing life with other Jesus followers. We have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every single sin. How cool is that? And did you know that the bond that we have as Jesus followers is bigger and more powerful and more defining than anything that can tear us apart? I don't care how old you are. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how much money you've got. I don't care what teams you root for. I don't even care who you voted for as long as you didn't mean any dishonor to our God. What binds us together is infinitely more important than the boxes people try to put us in. Because we're part of something special, aren't we? And I know we mess up a lot. I do. I've been in this thing for a long time, humanly speaking. I still find myself messing up a lot. Things I think, things I say, things that I do. That a person doing life with God shouldn't think, shouldn't say, shouldn't do. The Apostle Paul, John knows that. I think because he keeps struggling with sin the same way we do. Which is why he goes on, and this is cool. He says, guys, if we claim we have no sin, we're just fooling ourselves. We're not living the truth. And I haven't heard too many people claim that they have no sin at all, ever. But there are other ways that we come close. I've seen a whole lot of people who want to grade themselves on a curve, right? No, I may sin some, but I'm not bad enough to deserve hell. Not as bad as he is, not as bad as she is. We can always look around and find someone worse than we are. I've got my issues, but there's more good in me than bad, right? Oh, I know I sin some, but my sins are usually the little ones, not the big ones. I know I lost my temper, but she made me mad. It's really her fault. I know I lusted some, but I didn't act on it. I know I eat too much, but I know my tongue is cutting sometimes, but I know I get grumpy, but I know I'm a bit self-centered, but and with every one of those buts, we fool ourselves, we deceive ourselves, we deny our fundamental depravity and our need for God's grace. We'll admit that we're a little broken sometimes, but not that we're broken beyond repair. We'll admit that we get a little spiritually sick sometimes, but not that without Him we are spiritually dead. John says, if we claim that we're without sin, I think even if we minimize or trivialize our sin, we're fooling ourselves, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. Now, there are others who go out in a different way. I mean, there are others who think that they can actually rewrite the rules because they have a puny little God. God has his truth, I have mine. God has his right and wrong, I have mine. God's getting a little old, isn't he? God needs to keep up. God needs to evolve, right? Because the eternal God, for whom time as we know it, is a blink of the eye, maybe he's going to fall behind us, right? Because the omniscient God who knows everything that is, who knows you better than you know yourself, somehow doesn't understand you. Right? 
You know how crazy that is? Thinking that the transcendent, omniscient, omnipotent God doesn't understand. Or maybe that this God is going to negotiate with us about what is right or maybe bend to our preferences. (laughs) John says if we claim we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves. We're not living in the truth. And then he gets to one of the grandest verses in all of the Bible. This is so cool. It's almost too good to be true. But, he says, if we confess our sins to him, I don't care what they are, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse every single one of us from every bit of our wickedness, John says. He's faithful, which means he's going to keep his promise and he's just because our sin is paid for. Guys, if you were here last week, you heard me unpack two really scary verses. The Apostle Peter said, when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than they were before. And then he actually says it would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. That ought to take your breath away. Fortunately, it is not the end of the story. Because if you backslide, if you get tangled up in the sins that pulled you away from God, you are worse off than you were before. But if you still do confess your sins to God, He is always faithful and He is always just and He will always cleanse you from your sin and from all of your unrighteousness again and again and again and again. You cannot out-sin God's grace if you actually own your sin and beg God's forgiveness from the heart. But you have to be honest. You've got to own it. Unless we're honest with ourselves, unless we're honest with God, unless we actually let God be God, He can't heal what's broken inside of us. We've got to be willing to take our sin, expose it to the light, lay it before God and say, God, you name it. Help me to see my sin with your eyes. Help me to quit the rationalizing and just fix what's broken inside me. And guys, honesty with God is magical. You buy that? I'm almost done. Just one more verse, and I'm going to skip verse 10 in chapter 1, which is kind of repetitive, and I want to go to just chapter 2, verse 1. It kind of ties all this thing together. John says, dear children, dear kids, I'm writing this so that you will not sin. But if you do, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. And he is the one who's pleading our case before the Father. So let me see if I can tie all this together. It means the one who existed from the beginning, the one who is life itself, the one who stepped into our world to give us a glimpse at the light of God, He's the one who has your back. The one who died for you in your place. He's your advocate. He's your defense attorney. It's kind of like God the Father looks at... God the Son looks at God the Father and He says to the Father, this one is one of ours. This one is one of mine. And this one's story has barely begun. Isn't that a cool text?
If you're not part of that story yet, if you haven't accepted Him as your Lord and your Savior, it's time to get it done, guys. If you feel God nudging you, never push back against a nudge from God. It's never worth it. You need a church home? You want Capital City to be your home for some reason? We'd love to have you here. If He's your King, you want us to be your family, we'd love to do that. We're going to sing a song in just a minute. I'm going to sit down here. We've got an elder praying for you in the back. If you want to go to the prayer room, you want to come down and talk to me, talk about making Jesus the Lord of your life or Capital City your home, we'd love to do that. Or maybe what you need to do during this time is just to talk to God and acknowledge that He really is God and He really is amazing, right? And He's really that big. And resubmit yourself again to Jesus as your Lord. Let's pray together. Father, for your grace, for your truth, we give you thanks. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.